Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And Nick is actually stuck in Australia. So I brought in a really good friend of mine to guest host this wonderful episode with. She is a writer on the upcoming CW show, Katie Keene, premiering February 6th. Please welcome Evelyn Eve. Hi. Hi, welcome. Thank you. We just talked uh, off mic about uh, your very action-driven New Year's Eve that you had. <laughs> My very action-driven New Year's Eve where we watched Mad Max Fury Road yes. for probably the millionth time. Wait, is it the millionth time? How many times probably have you seen not. Mad Max? It was probably the second time for me, but... Fair enough. It's a decent movie. Yeah. But anyway, so today we will be talking about ways of finding your place in the writer's room from using your experience to pitching yourself in a showrunner's meeting and the different prep work before the room to how to handle the first few weeks in that writer's room and figuring out the special set of skills you will be bringing to the table. So let's get to it. Let's talk a bit about showrunner meetings, specifically selling yourself up top, because last week we did a whole episode on the concept of pitching yourself, of figuring out the way to craft your bio or sort of your personal narrative on how to sell yourself, whether online with the WGA uh, hashtag or in different meetings, general meetings, and even showrunner meetings. So I'm kind of curious your thoughts on how did you figure out your own narrative? How do you pitch yourself in the room? And especially in a showrunner's meeting, how do you pitch yourself to that person? I feel like I didn't figure out how to do this until a couple of showrunner meetings in, unfortunately. But I always used to think about my about me bio as being separate from talking about how enthusiastic I am about the show that I'm meeting on. When in reality, I think there's a way to kind of bridge that to kind of mesh those two things together. So one of the things that I did when I met with Michael Grassi, our showrunner on Katie Keene, is I talked about my past and like my bio in terms of like the show and what I related to with like Katie Keene and the main characters of the show. I think that ultimately is what really helped me get staffed on the show. And it's what helped him understand why I connected with those characters and what made me a good fit for the show. And what was that process personally of connecting the dots between who you are as a person and the material for Katie Keene, but even on other shows that you're trying to get staffed on? I think part of it was realizing that some of these meetings are really short because showrunners are super busy and they're meeting with lots of writers. And because you have such a finite amount of time, it's just kind of figuring out like the best way for you to pitch yourself is to make yourself as memorable as possible. And I mean, essentially to pitch yourself as like the person who really speaks to those characters. So like on Katie Keene, I talked about like my personal connection to like the comics. I grew up reading Archie Comics and Katie Keene. I've always been interested in the fashion world and I kind of grew up making clothes for my Barbies and things like that. So that was like a little like cutesy story, I guess. And my sister also was like in the music world. So that was a good link to Josie. And I grew up with a lot of like crazy rich Asians. So that kind of tied in with like one of our other characters, Pepper. So it was just kind of like drawing out all of those elements and kind of just making it like really tied to the show. Right. And you mentioned up top that you kind of failed other shorter meetings. What were some yeah. of the mistakes that you felt you made at that time? I think just not talking enough about the show. And again, it's like my personal connection to the show and just talking about like, oh, these are the things that I like about the show, but not necessarily talking about like what I would bring to those characters. Like, I think that's why talking about yourself and how you relate to those characters is an organic way of essentially like pitching stories without you know, pitching stories because they don't really want you to pitch stories, right, for the season. <laughs> but it's kind of like an organic way to show like right. what you would bring. It's almost like teasing what the different yeah. pitches you'll be bringing. It's like, oh, your hold point on of a, view. Exactly. And the and this uh, magic box. Yeah. If you staff me, you'll be able to open it and yeah, get exactly. all the, all this free <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Now, I'm also curious of your experiences with the Warner Brothers program, mm -hmm. uh, because uh, you were uh, in it before getting staffed on Katie Keene. And I know uh, just from talking with the different uh, heads of those programs that they put a lot of emphasis on that idea of sort of crafting your narrative, telling your story, how do you pitch yourself? Yeah. So what were your experiences on that front at uh, WB? And also what were the lessons that you took that you brought into your own pitches? They prepared us really well for showrunner meetings and also being able to comfortably talk about ourselves. I think earlier on in the staffing process last year, I met on genre shows, which I was honestly surprised to meet on. So that was part of it for me was like it took a little bit of time to kind of get used to like thinking about myself beyond sort of like the narrower scope of things that I thought of myself as a writer that's kind of like where I realized 
I needed to kind of draw connections between myself and the characters. Because honestly, with every story, you can find some type of connection, some type of way in, whether it's like theme or like the characters, whatever it is. My WB mentor worked with me a lot on like showrunner meetings and basically being able to talk about myself and how I can you know, speak to the show. I think that's, that's essentially it. There's no like magic. It is uh, speaking to the show from a personal experience. Right. Exactly. right. Yeah. It's sort of a figuring out, okay, so I've got this backlog of anecdotes about my life. How right. can I connect that story from my childhood to this moment in the pilot or this character that is going to be related to the show past the pilot? Yeah. I think it's really just about finding aspects of the show that you have like a really deep personal connection with. And that's more likely than not going to be the thing that helps you get staffed. And how do you do the work to get to that point of understanding, oh, wait, this character is really into Marvel comics. And, you know, my brother was really into Marvel comics. Like, how do you do that legwork of understanding, oh, this is actually a viable story I can tell in a shorter meeting that is going to relate to the pilot? I think it's just like delving into the pilot if you're able to like read the pilot before you're meeting, just like breaking it down and figuring out like what the character motivations are and all that stuff. Let's get into some more of the prep work before getting into the actual room. Let's say you were someone who's been lucky enough to get staffed. You get the call. Hey, they want you in a month or two months or however long it is. Both of our experiences in the room have been on IP based shows. So I'm kind of curious your take on how did you prep before that first date in the rose room? So Katie Keene is based on the Katie Keene comics, but the show is pretty different from what the comics were. I mean, they were essentially like made to showcase the illustrations, right? Like the gorgeous fashion thing. And of course it was like set in the fifties at one point and then the eighties, whereas our show was like present day and it kind of follows like the lives of these like 20 some year old characters and Josie's a part of our world. So a lot of the characters didn't change to kind of take on like the modern world. So in that respect, I guess like having read the comics helped, but it wasn't necessarily like enough preparation to be in the room. So I tried to kind of brainstorm ideas for like the season, just like things I could pitch on that either based on like personal stories, personal experience, or just things that I was interested in, like in the fashion world and the music world and so on. But to some extent, that kind of goes out the window the moment you walk into the writer's room because you just don't necessarily know what the showrunner wants, like what he or she or they want from the season. And then you kind of have to like pivot. How deep into the game of the pitching uh, process of the prep work were you when you entered that room? Uh, obviously, like you said, you got to wait a little bit on the yeah. idea of sort of understanding what the showrunner wants or needs or sort of the, the way they're perceiving the long tail arc of those characters. Yeah. But on some level, you still can guess or at least right. make an educated uh, guess on where those characters are going or where like the things that inspire you. So how do you do that work beforehand? I think it's just like thinking about the pilot and the season the way that you would with like your own original pilot. And I think that the main difference is that you would you would try to approach it from the showrunner's voice and point of view, at least what you think it is from the pilot. So when I read the pilot for Katie Keene, it was very like bright and hopeful. And it was, as Michael calls it, it's like the New York of our imagination. So that's kind of like where I tried to put my mindset and how I tried to approach developing those characters rather than the way that I would approach those characters in my own work. And did you use the comics at all as sort of a source of inspiration for this picture? Because I know personally in my room, the books are not necessarily the Bible, but mm -hmm. they are still a very useful tool to move forward uh, when we get stuck or sort of a, a being used as launchpad for character drama, character fodder, or different interesting uh, scenarios for those episodes. There ended up being a couple of like fun nods to the comics in terms of character names we used and things like that. But there weren't like massive plot points or, or like character related things in the comics that ended up on the show. Just because again, the comics, they're not like serialized comics. They're kind of like standalone, like meant to highlight again, like the fashion and like how glamorous and cool that world is. It ended up being pretty different. <laughs> 
All right, now that we've talked about prepping for the Shorna meeting and just the, all that prep work before the first day, let's talk about the nitty gritty of, hey, this is day one. Uh, it's going to be a first day of school. Yeah. Uh, let's introduce ourselves around the room. How do you handle those first few days and weeks in the room? Maybe uh, picking the right spot on uh, where to sit, maybe not being the one to enter the, the craft room <laughs> first day. <laughs> the kitchen. Or, yeah, the yeah. kitchen. I, I remember the first week in, uh, in our room, our showrunner didn't want any phones out and so the phones got taken away wow. so that we did not interfere with the work yeah so i'm curious your experiences sort of uh, in your first few days on katie keen how did you handle that whole uh, politic and the uh, etiquette of the room our room had kind of met up briefly before we started our first day so we could watch the pilot so that was like a nice icebreaker not everyone was there because people were out of town and things like that so I met with like at least half the writer's room um, beforehand. So it was a little, it was a little bit easier, but it does very much feel like the freshman coming into like the lunchroom and you're trying to figure out where's the right place to sit. I came in when most people had figured out their seats, at least on one side of the table. Um, so I kind of just like found my spot somewhere like in the middle. Luckily, our hierarchy isn't really focused upon that much. Like everyone kind of has a fair chance to like speak and everyone's ideas are valued, thankfully. So it wasn't that big of a deal, the whole like seating arrangement. Right. I did, however, throw a wrench in things and I changed up like the seating arrangement sort of in the second week. It ended up being okay. We had talked about like switching up the seats and I kind of just ended up doing it. <laughs> so, but luckily it wasn't. Did the was principal fun. call you in his office? <laughs> It was basically like that. Yeah, our showrunner <laughs> did notice, but it's fine. I wanted to be closer to the cards. <laughs> That's of course, yeah. You want to be the one to yeah. ride the cards yeah. or to see the cards. Yeah. You want to be useful. You want to be. But if you're uh, across the table, you can see the cards, but mm -hmm. it's hard to write them. You got to be like close. Yeah. To the cards. And you want to be in a position where you want to be actually doing something in the room. Yeah. So was that your tactic? Was ah, let me be the one to ride the cards. Well, uh, so we have two other staff writers in our room who are wonderful: Will Ewing and Mia Catherine Iverson. They're both great and. And we kind of share the card writing duties. Like no one was really territorial about it. We ended up sharing. How's your handwriting? My handwriting is pretty neat. Yeah? Yeah. Did you compare notes? You're like, all right, you do the ones with the most amount of E's and I do the ones with the most amount of A's. Honestly, I'm not the quickest at, at card writing because I am very like particular about like making things neat. So we all kind of have our strengths and weaknesses. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, so you brought up, obviously, hierarchy. That's a yeah. huge topic in the room. Uh, people, some rooms are very territorial in the context yeah. of, hey, if you're a low level, you don't speak or unless spoken to. Other rooms are, the, you know, the credit doesn't matter. The level doesn't matter. We're all equals here. What was your experience in the room? And what's your advice on sort of dealing with that uh, hierarchy aspect? So in our room, I tried to figure out very early on, like what the hierarchy in the room was, just because I feel like, you know, you don't want to speak more than the upper level writers. And that is actually advice that I got from some upper level writers, just that exactly. But our room is very open in the sense that like everyone was encouraged to like speak up as much as possible, or at least to like contribute ideas, you know, whenever we felt like we had something to contribute. And I feel like that that really is the big challenge for first time staff writers. You're nervous. It's your first time being in a room Maybe not if you're in, not if you've been a writer's assistant before, but it's definitely like a different experience from being like an assistant in the room to being like a person who is there to contribute ideas and who's there to write. But I think the big challenge is just figuring out like when to speak and when to contribute because you don't want to just speak to like hear the sound of your own voice or to feel like you're saying something. And it's really just about like figuring out like the personalities in the room and what types of ideas and pitches the showrunner is responding to. Well, to that idea, you mentioned that a bunch of the higher levels advise you the amount of time you should speak should be equal, if not under amount of uh, talk time that the higher ups are doing. Mm -hmm. How do you gauge that? Is there sort of a clock? Are you timing yourself? You're like, all right, I'm only doing two pitches today <laughs> or five minutes talk time this week. So I got that advice because I, I'd asked about it. I think all the staff writers, I mean, having spoken to the other staff writers, like we all kind of wonder, like, are we speaking enough? Are we not speaking enough? So thankfully, like one of the upper level staff writers gave me that great advice. It was just like, you know, you're doing great, but I feel like this isn't the spirit in which she like <laughs> gave me the, the advice. She was just saying like, 
that's kind of like the barometer you want to. Yeah, just a heads up. This yeah. Is, at what point in the room did this happen? Was this a few weeks in, the first couple of weeks? Yeah, this was like maybe like a quarter of the way through. Like, again, our room is so great in that like the like mid and upper level writers in our room were very open to like mentoring us first time staff writers. All three of us are first time staff writers. So they were very like encouraging and helpful and in giving advice and things like that. Yeah, a lot of it is dependent on ultimately the showrunner that you get and the kind yeah. of vibe that's yeah, created absolutely. in the room. Yeah, I mean, obviously you had a very positive experience. I know yeah. in my room it was also very positive. It was very open. And I think that's important to know that some rooms will not be as open. Uh, some uh, showrunners are going to be a little bit more anal, so to speak, in yeah. terms of, hey, if you're a lower level writer, your job is to really not pitch as much. But the common mistake I feel like a lot of people also make is conversely to pitching too much is pitching pitching too little because yeah. they're maybe a little bit too afraid of speaking up. It can be very intimidating to be in that position where you're in the room, uh, you have a little bit of a imposter syndrome. You yeah. think, why, why uh, am I here? Do I really belong here? Personally, I feel like my experience, or at least my advice on dealing with that is just doing as much homework as possible. I just like yeah, personally sure. to have as much control and ownership over what I do. So much like uh, you talked about sort of doing uh, pitch work or prep work before the first day, figuring out pitches, I feel like that could be an ongoing thing, mm -hmm. even in the room where you at least are actively aware of the different pain points that yeah. the room is hitting against. And you can try to work on different pitches that could ease those pain points the next day. Even you may not be able to pitch those at all, but uh, at least I feel like it's important to have a little bit of ownership of that level of, you can only worry about the things you can control, not the things you can't control. Yeah. I think that's one thing that you could control. Yeah, totally. I think also one of the ways in which like staff writers can pitch ideas without fear of it being like, oh, is this like totally different? Is this like what the showrunner wants or not? Is to support the ideas that the showrunner responds to from other writers. Like one of the things I tried to do is to kind of like, support other writers pitches with like research so if someone pitched something that the showrunner responds to i could be like oh yeah this happened like on the runway with like this particular designer so that way it's like i'm contributing but i'm also supporting other people's pitches you gotta do the yes end yes and, yeah and on that note of yes ending your co-workers <laughs> and, and the other writers how do you sort of know what works and what doesn't in the room especially considering the showrunner if uh, they you know sometimes they may not even be in the room obviously because mm -hmm. they have production issues or whatever and so you're gonna be dealing with a number two and number three how do you handle contributing in a, in a worthwhile manner as a lower level writer. So our showrunner Michael was with us, I think for most of the room, he's very much present. But in the days that he wasn't there, I was very conscious of like taking notes in terms of like when he was in the room, the kinds of pitches that he responded to or the things that he told us he wanted, basically. I think he was he's very clear in terms of like expressing his like vision for the show and what he wants from the characters. So I think that made it easier to tailor our pitches to that. And our number two on our show, Shauna McGarry, is like really wonderful in terms of like leading the room when Michael's not around. And how do you feel they created or helped create an ambiance that was conducive to creative thoughts and erasing the levels of the different people in the room? I still wonder about this because I think like Michael is just so he's probably not going to listen to this. So I can say this without <laughs> seeming like I'm like trying to score brownie points, but like it is very much like a personality thing, but it's also a skill set to be able to like encourage everyone and to foster this like really positive environment, especially because I feel like showrunners do have to deal with so much that it's easy to kind of bring in your baggage from other things like your personal life or whatever. And it's honestly, it, it is a very tough job to run the room. I don't know how they do it. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, it is hard to really gauge on ways of proactively doing that. Yeah. Now, I'm kind of curious also on ways that you found it useful to understand the showrunner's wants and needs, because personally, my different experiences have been that some showrunners don't really know exactly what yeah. they want, or they think they do know what they want, and then the next day, they don't <laughs> anymore. Yeah. So how do you go with the wave and the flow of the showrunner's wants and needs? That's a very good question. Obviously, this varies from showrunner to showrunner. But I think there are cues that you can pick up on. Like if they're like, oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting idea. That's a great idea. Then you kind of want to like run towards that, like whatever it is they're kind of responding to, even if you haven't landed on a particular path or like trajectory, I guess, for like the characters or the story. 
I think you just learn and figure out along the way the types of pitches and stories that the show kind of demands and the showrunner wants. Do you have any specific lingo that your room used to either bounce off people's ideas or contributing in other capacities? No, not like go-to phrases. Yeah, because I remember my room, there were a lot of uh, go-to phrases. What were your go-to phrases? Pitching on that, off of that, like here's what that does. Not this, but this. Not that, but that. Yeah. Uh, Here's another thing inside of that idea that you said. Uh Uh, Here's a way to do X or an option to do Y. Here's an alt on what you said. Alt, yeah. Alt is what we use a lot. Exactly. Um, Let's do the shape of what you said, but let's uh, let me pitch an alt on what you said because I really loved what you said, but it's not quite what is in my mind right now. So I like uh, shape of. I I haven't heard that one before, but I think I'm going to start using it. In the shape of. In the shape of, yeah. So it's the shape of this or the shape of that. Someone winning or losing a scene. I feel like that's like, I don't know if that was a thing for you. What is that? Uh, It means like if there's a, because every scene, you, you watch succession so you should know who wins and loses the scene essentially it means that who wins or loses the scene in the context of the conflict within the scene if uh, let's say a principal calls their student in the office Mm -hmm. and maybe they're gonna uh, give the student a beat down if the student wins the scene maybe the student is blackmailing the principal and at the end of the day he doesn't have uh, to do detention okay at the end of the scene something like that i I don't know if i really really explained it interesting no that's that's really interesting uh on that note, the color of the scene was also a kind okay. of vernacular yeah. grace note. That's more uh, if What's a, grace a grace note is something that's maybe visual or some, something that's linked to a flare, but not necessarily vital to the scene. Yeah. If that makes sense. So yeah. especially if, if you're writing like an, an original pilot, mm-hmm. a lot of people focus on the minutiae of the details right. that don't really matter. So that could be a grace note if like someone is listening to a vinyl. In your mind, you know exactly the vinyl. That's more of a grace note because it's more of a flair than it is something that's very relevant to the scene intrinsically. Yeah. Unless it's plot driven. But presumably the vinyl in this example is not plot driven. It's just like, oh, I really like the Beatles. Is yeah. that really, is that like more like a grace note because I love the Beatles? Or is it like, is the Beatles going to come up right. later in the show and uh, is, is going to be very important? The one phrase that people all used over and over again to not shoot down ideas, but yeah. I just, so I have a little bump on, I, I, I'm yeah, bumping yeah, on. That's common. On your pitch uh, that you just said right yeah. now. I mean, people know this already, but it's like, it's always helpful if you're pointing out like a flaw to come up with like an alt pitch. Because <laughs> you don't want to be the person who's just like poking holes for no reason. Or even just poking holes with no solutions. Like that's just not helpful. Exactly. You don't want to be the Dr. No, as uh, Javi yeah, would say. Dr. No. <laughs> yeah. We did have a rule of three strikes and you're out pitching idea of, you know, if you're pitching something, you get to strike out three times essentially mm-hmm. on that pitch. Because sometimes the first time you pitch it, it may not be the best pitch in the world and yeah. you're going to be shut down. But if you're being shut down repeatedly, I mean, presumably you, you shouldn't be the one pitching over and over and over again, the same idea, but in just, yeah. you know, different disguise. I don't know if you, if you had the, the issue. I, I stop it too. Like you if, stop it too. Yeah. I, I stop it too. I don't know if, if like anyone's ever really been shot down, but it's like at the first time, maybe you don't think like the showman or, fully registered that pitch and you like really think it's a good pitch for whatever reason then you know like i might try a second time but like usually by that second point you you know on that note another uh, lesson that i learned in my room was to allow yourself to be confused yeah and if you've heard of that idea of just sometimes obviously the ideas are not fully formed sometimes you gotta let it suck mm-hmm. that's another thing but just the idea of if you're in the room and people are pitching stuff you can't let yourself be confused for a second. You don't need to keep track of every single thread at all yeah. times. And I think sometimes it's important to take a break or mental break in the sense of maybe while they're dealing with the arc of Joe Schmo, I'm going to be dealing with, in my mind, a pitch on Jane Doe. And when we're going to circle back on Jane Doe, then yeah. I'm going to be more active because that's more my speed than this Joe Schmo B story. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. That's essentially like figuring out where your strengths are because you might not be the expert on every single character, just in terms of like your own experiences, you know, and what you have to offer for the show. It's like, that's why there's a room and not just like one person. Exactly. To that idea, we're going to go back to figuring out your special set of skills. Yes. I just wanted, I have my whole list of just like <laughs> keywords and, <laughs> and uh, phrases that yeah. we used. Uh, one was owing a scene. Okay. I don't know if you understand. I mean, no, I'm sure it's uh, essentially if uh, you set something up mm. or you lose track of a character or 
you may owe a scene of uh, whether it's a cathartic scene of this person doing mm -hmm. something specific or owing a scene in the context of we owe an explanation of that thing or, or we owe, you know, this person winning a battle against this other person because early in the season they lost a battle and we need that person to have a redemption arc or whatever. Okay. So essentially something, a TBD scene that we owe to the audience mm -hmm. for whatever reason. I f it feels like you guys have a lot more like lingo than we do. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I think that's just me catching up on the lingo, yeah. just noting down yeah, every yeah. single thing. Yeah. Because uh, these were not <laughs> sentences or, or lingo that I was familiar with, but now I'm very familiar yeah. with all the vernacular. Yeah. Oh, another thing on the bump on was a uh, hanging chad. If it's something that's hanging not chad. like, you know, the election of 2000. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit of a hanging chad. It's something that's not quite fully formed. There could be a bump on it just because it's not quite fully there yet. Yeah. But we'll cover the chad later. <laughs> <laughs> These are all like kind of newish to me. Yeah. We could spend an entire episode. I think yeah, we're like half the episode just like me listing <laughs> quotes and uh, yeah. ideas. Specific lingo. And just to go back to the idea of pitching, I also feel it's important to sometimes be aware that you don't have to pitch something that's fully completed. I think that's something that a lot of first-time writers struggle with is, and admittedly, it is important to speak when you have a fully formed thought, and obviously you want your opinion to be uh, worthwhile when you speak up, especially as a staff writer. But I feel like a lot of people are also afraid sometimes of talking because they think or presume that their ideas are not worthwhile or that it needs to be this fully formed, completed pitch as much as it is more in my mind about emotion or on some level, you got to pitch an emotion or something that you want to accomplish in that beat that doesn't have to be something that's completely thought out on like a plot level. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've uh, come up with that in your room of just the kinds of pitches that you make. Are they more like emotion driven, character driven, plot driven? How do you figure out? I think side? you said something really interesting, which I'm trying to do more of now, which is like pitching like emotional beats. Cause I think that's really like the kind of thing that people respond to most or people kind of latch on to more so than like plot pitches. I feel like, cause plot pitches are kind of like amorphous, like that, you know, changes depending on like the direction of the story, but like emotional beats or tailoring your pitches so that they're like emotionally driven I think it's something that I have learned from like upper level writers or from our showrunners. I think for me, especially, and I feel like for a lot of first time staff writers, like you're so focused on like the minutia that you kind of forget, oh, this is obviously like a story about like these characters and we have to be really invested in like what they're feeling and why they're doing what they're doing. That's really what's important. Absolutely. And I feel like to that idea, just the fact that if you're going to be sitting on something until it's fully formed and you finally get it out and it's out there. And then you either get shut down or it's being put on the board and, and then gets uh, taken down. Yeah. It feels personal because it feels like you've been, you know, simmering on that thing that's now fully formed in your mind. And that's perfect. And I can finally talk and yeah. express myself. And then you get shut down. I feel like that's much more personal. It feels much more like an attack and hits your ego a little bit more than if you were to pitch something that's not fully completed, still worthwhile, mind you, but still something that hits on an emotional beat, something that is building on other people's pitches, yeah. everything we said so far but still not this sort of immaculate, fully formed uh, ABC story that you're going to be coming up with. I agree with that completely. And I also think that like, if you're waiting for your pitch to come out perfect as a staff writer, it probably never is. <laughs> I don't think I've ever done like a 100% perfect flawless pitch. And b by the time you think that's fully formed in your head, the room's probably moved on to other characters right. or it's like moved on to a completely different direction. And now your pitch is like completely useless. Absolutely. Yeah. It is important to just get enough of that shape since yeah. you learned that. It's also like to get to the point where you're a lot better at pitching is just to keep practicing it and... There's just no other way of like getting right. better at it, I think, than just to do it. It's really hard to really gauge what works and what doesn't until you do it. Yeah. I don't know if that's been your experience with the room. Yeah. Another lesson that I learned in my room in terms of ways of coming up with pitches is trying to figure out what would end the episode or season right now. What would be the win? Because I feel like a lot of bad scenes or a lot of bad content is treading water essentially, mm -hmm. because we know we want to get to the end point, but we don't really want to get to it just now. We want to wait a little bit. So we want to pitch like sort of a simmering moments that don't really do anything or just treading water as opposed to 
thinking of what would be something that would end the episode right now and then you can move forward. I don't know if you've ever seen the Vampire Diaries, but that was sort of like infamous for burning stories after stories, especially in the, in the first few seasons. And just the idea of thinking of what would end the episode now, what would give the win to the main character or the C character to drive the plot forward? I guess we don't really think about characters like winning or losing as much on our show. Although now I'm going to think <laughs> about that. We really think about putting our characters through like emotional turmoil, like the kinds of experiences. It's like larger than life experiences that you would go through in your 20s, you know, like dating experiences, like big career opportunities. Like those are the kinds of stories like we tackle and everything's just like kind of bigger because it's, you know. The New York Bar Imagination. <laughs> <laughs> well, on the note of uh, thinking of our experiences, let me just thank our sponsor for this episode, BetterHelp. If something is stopping you from achieving your goals or positive mindset, BetterHelp offers online counseling just for you. They have licensed professional counselors, both across all 50 US states and worldwide, who specialize in everything from depression and anxiety to relationships and even insomnia. BetterHelp is conveniently available on every major platform like Amazon. Android, iOS, mobile web, and desktop, so you can find help in your own time at your own pace in a way that is comfortable for you. Anything you share is, of course, confidential and secure, and best of all, it is affordable. And we at Baby Team are big believers in taking care of one's mental health, especially as writers and creatives. So when you sign up, for BetterHelp, as a Paper Team listener, you will get 10% off your first month with a discount code PAPERTEAM. That's all caps, all one word, PAPERTEAM. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash PAPERTEAM. Simply fill out a quick questionnaire to help assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you will love. Plus, if you're not happy with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time for no additional charge. Again, that is betterhelp.com slash PAPERTEAM to get your 10% off your first month now. So we've covered at length uh, some of the, the pitching process in the room, handling the first few days, weeks in the room. Now let's talk about more ways of figuring out your own special set of skills, like Liam Neeson. How do you become <laughs> Liam Neeson in the room besides uh, kidnapping your showrunner, which uh, we do not advise? No. So let's get into the meat of figuring out your special set of skills. And let me ask you straight up, like, how do you determine what you're good at? How have you determined yourself the strengths and weaknesses that you bring to a writer's room? Like for me in the Katie Keen room, I tried to pitch a lot on like the fashion stories, mainly because I had written a fashion pilot before. So I was very familiar with like the fashion world and especially like haute couture and ready to wear how like those collections come together. And I kind of learned early on that that was like a good skill to have just because it's like a world that I'm like really interested in. Obviously, we do a lot of fashion stories on our show since Katie Keene is an aspiring fashion designer. So that ended up kind of being like my special skill. I think it depends sort of like room by room and like, you know, in your experience, like what set of skills other people bring to the room and sort of figuring out like what other people's strengths are so that you can also figure out like what your niche is. It is very like dependent on like the room because there might be multiple people in the room who love doing research or whatever it is. If it's like a cop show, maybe there are multiple people in the room with like cop backgrounds. So your angle was really more the knowledge based essentially yeah. that you brought into the table. I think that's really fascinating in the same way that usually on an IP based show, maybe not yours, but at mm -hmm. least on ours, those are the keeper of the Bible. Usually that's the script coordinator or the writer's assistant, but there's a lot of incentive to being the person that people go to, mm -hmm. to get answers on specific questions. I feel like there's something there to the idea of you can be valuable in a room, not just by being the person who pitches cool ideas, but also by being the brain or the vault of information relating to a particular topic yeah. in the room in the same way that you brought up, you know, cops or doctors in those procedural shows or lawyers, they are going to be the ones to hold answers to questions that the writers have. So I feel like finding a place on that capacity is really interesting. It's also, I think, important, like not to be territorial about things like that, because like in our room, everyone's very like research intensive and some of our other staff writers also contribute to like fashion like related research and things like that and it just i think it helps the show and ultimately like that's what we're there for we're there to contribute ideas and research and that is something we didn't really it. uh fully touched on the previous part just the idea of being a team player yeah i think you touched on something that's very important here just the idea that hopefully you are there in the same boat as everyone else there you're there to build a show for the show owner you're not there for yourself so 
finding the right skill that you bring to the table, not just to value yourself, but really to contribute as a, a team player. I think that's very important. I don't think showrunners necessarily like keep tabs in the way that we think of ourselves. Like we're very worried about our own performance. Every writer is worried about their own performance in the room. And, you know, you're keeping score in ways that I don't think the showrunner does because they're just way too busy to do that. So I think it's more of like, it's really about like the bigger picture. Like what do you contribute to the room overall? Again, it's what you said. Like, are you a team player? Are you really like contributing ideas and research and like your point of view to the show? I definitely agree with everything you're saying. Just the idea of ultimately your job as a staff writer or actually any writer at any yeah. level is to make the showrunner's life easier. Exactly. And so that could take so many different forms. It could be, like you said, sort of the idea of pitching in the room, or it could be the person who knows everything about fashion, or it could be the person who keeps the Bible or mm -hmm. does the note cards really well in the manner that the showrunner really loves to see or <laughs> whatever it is. So understanding that the skill that you bring to the table doesn't necessarily have to be something as specific or binary as I'm good at characters or I'm good at plot or yeah. I'm good at emotions or I'm good at dialogue. There's a little bit more nuances there that you can bring to the table that isn't just one skill. It's sort of a collage of the different elements that you bring to the table. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. It kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier about like your bio and like what you told your showrunner that you're interested in about the show and what you bring to the table. That's kind of like what you have to deliver on once you're in the room. For sure. I mean, you're basically selling yourself. You got to deliver on the pitch. I feel like that's yeah. definitely <laughs> something that is very important. I feel like on some level, we're all still figuring out and yeah. evolving and understanding, oh, what's my skill set? Uh, personally, I always thought that I was really good at plot. On some level, I'm interested in plot and interested in structure, but in the room, I I'm less like plot driven, I feel like, mm -hmm. even though I do have like logic bumps a lot. I feel like <laughs> sometimes I'm the one who's like, does this really make sense? I don't, that can you, be you, helpful. But you don't want to be the bad guy. You don't no, want to be like the person. You don't want to be, like, be Dr. No, as yeah, I exactly. learned today. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's, well, that's a children of 10 do uh, catchphrase. I don't want to get sued for copyright okay, infringement. Okay. <laughs> but <laughs> that's a Javi and Jose's. Okay. In any case, just the idea of being present in the room and understanding your value. And I think you said something earlier. Well, it might have been off mic. Just the idea of understanding your position by talking to other writers at all levels and getting answers to your questions. I feel like a lot of people are too much in their own head. They think that all eyes are on them yeah. because that's just the way we live our lives. But the truth is nobody cares about you really, yeah. uh, or at least not as much as you care about yourself. So understanding or asking other people to get that feedback, hearing what they have to say about your skills or what you could contribute more or less of is definitely something that is important. I think it's just like a really good way of building rapport with the other writers in the room because they're really the people that you spend the most time with. I think like way more than the showrunner. So our room's a little different in the sense that like we get our call time like every morning. <laughs> so there's usually like a good chunk of time where like at least a bunch of us are in the office, but the room hasn't started yet. So that's like a good time, I think, to bond with other writers. And I think by kind of like sharing your experiences and like your fears or struggles or whatever, it like it honestly helps so much because you realize you're not alone in like having doubts and insecurities and things like that. All the way from like staff writers, you know, to like the number two in the room, like everyone has their own insecurities and fears. And it's honestly just very comforting in a way. <laughs> Yeah. Just to know that other people have them, that you're not crazy. Absolutely. I mean, it is important to find those downbeats or those moments where you can bond with other people. Mm -hmm. That's something that we didn't really emphasize in, again, the last part about uh, sort of the handling those first few days or weeks. But I mean, some rooms get all the clicky sometimes. So it's under, it's important to understand sort of like the different dynamics on that level also of who hangs out with who. I mean, I don't know what your experience is, but I, I know some other rooms that have been very like high school-ish right. in this sense of these people with these people and so forth. But just the idea of being open and friendly with people and engaging with people and sort of learning about them as much as you want them to learn about you, because this business is all relationship driven at the yeah. end of the day. It's all sort of who you know and who can recommend you and, and so forth. So I feel like to your point, just the idea of finding those moments either before the room or after the room or maybe during a break during the room or at lunch 
and going to their office and be like, hey, what, what do you think of my first few weeks? I'd love to hear your thoughts. I really value your position as like a co-EP on this project, uh, blah, 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 blah. I feel like that's definitely something that everybody should be doing on some level. Yeah. I think for me, like I just tried to find, I, our room again is like wonderful in the sense that everyone was very kind and like we didn't really get very clicky at any point i think everyone's like very much like included and i think hopefully like on the same level like no one's been excluded for anything but for me personally i I really try to like bond with each writer in some way shape or form like in a genuine way whether it's like their dog because i love dogs or like (laughs) you know whatever like tracksuits because i like tracksuits it's just like finding finding like common areas of interest i think is like a good way of i stalked you on instagram and i saw that last month you ate jelly bellies and i really love jelly bellies (laughs) Maybe not like in a you kind of way, like in a, but you know, yeah. If Jelly Bellies is like what you have in common, <laughs> yeah, listen, great. You can find that out in this, like in the kitchen. You know, as long snacks. as they don't like buttered popcorn flavor of Jelly Belly, <laughs> that's all that matters to me. God. What's your uh, favorite Jelly Belly flavor? I honestly am not that into jelly beans. Wow. Yeah. The door is like, right there. Yeah. I think the podcast is going to abruptly <laughs> end. Going to end. <laughs> but wait, have you tried the Harry Potter? Well, I've been gifted that many times on my birthday. I'm a big a Jelly Belly okay. person. And so the Bean Boozled, I think it's called. Or like, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've, uh, I've tried them. Not, not good. Not good. Not even. I think the grass flavor is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I think this podcast has gone That's off the rails. We're yeah. just, yeah. Let's rank from, uh, from best to worst <laughs> the Jelly Belly yeah. flavors. Yeah. Uh, another way of figuring out your place in the room is to understand the other people's strength around you and yeah. sort of where you fit there. Uh, you touched on that briefly before, but just to reset, sort of what are your thoughts on ways of understanding people's strengths and weaknesses in the room and ways of yourself being in a position to contribute to the room in that way? It becomes like pretty apparent a couple of weeks in, like what people's strengths are. You just like really listen to what the showrunner responds to. And also just like in general, like the ways people pitch, the kinds of ideas they pitch, you start to realize like why they're there. I think that's like probably the most important thing is just to like listen. And I think that's the only way you'll be able to like pitch well, to know like what types of ideas you can pitch and like basically like what your place is in the room. Because if you are like a staff writer, you're the least important person in the room, but you still obviously want to contribute. Absolutely. I feel like it it behooves you to learn as much as possible in the room. And even just the way that people are pitching, I think is immensely helpful. I mean, personally, I've always struggled with pitching or talking because in part, English is not my eternal language. So that's always been a struggle. But being in a room with people pitching in different ways, I think that to me has been really valuable in the same way that I was just like going down the list of the different like vernacular and lingo and lexicon that we use in the room. I think it's important to sort of learn those lessons in the writer's room and maybe take notes down for yourself to pitch less, pitch more, or just the way or the shape of the way you pitch certain things, things that work, things that land it's to your advantage to just understanding and taking the lessons from the way people are pitching. Yeah. It's also like everyone kind of has like different styles of pitching. You can't necessarily like emulate one person's way. You kind of have to like figure out how you should pitch. I'm still figuring it out. Yeah. I was going to ask you, what is the way you pitch? I don't know if like I have a particular frame that I follow. I always try to come at it from like a research-based point of view. And I'm trying to bring in like the emotion of things more. I don't know. I'm still figuring it out. So on issue 135 of Vogue, there was this <laughs> <laughs> this article from Dior that I really loved. And I feel like yeah. there's really an evocative way that we can take that robe and use it in an episode. I think it's like thinking about like what you're interested in about that subject. For me, the things that I found really interesting about the fashion world were the personalities that clashed. And just the like trials and tribulations of specific designers like Tom Ford and Alexander McQueen were ones that I kept making reference to. They have and had very colorful lives and very interesting, you know, antagonistic relationships with like their mentors and things like that. So it's essentially using your research as a launchpad for pitches in the room that can land emotionally, hopefully, Mm -hmm. with people and then sort of translate that to the character's experiences. Yeah. And plot. In your room, did you have any specific expectations, ways of breaking the episodes up? I'm assuming there's some kind of macro arc, obviously, but how much consideration was there to this episode needs to be sort of a self-contained cathartic story as opposed Mm. to a piece in a larger tapestry? I think in our room, 
the shape of each episode changed as we went on he's like some episodes ended up being like bottle episodes that was kind of decided closer to the time that we broke each episode as opposed to like when we were blue skying the whole season like storylines that we had conceived for like this episode ended up being pushed back or like things like that that i think that's like normal in the process i mean the show is like for the most part serialized so even like the bottle episodes are essentially just bottle episodes because it's like fewer locations so they're not necessarily like standalone stories i think something we talked about was like specific recurring characters having chapters of like our main characters lives so like katie's dating like this person like in these episodes what story are we trying to tell there and what were some of the lessons that you took from the writer's room regarding your own skills, especially in the way that it hopefully shaped you as a writer or improved you knowing and bettering yourself and your own understanding of what you bring to the table? One of the biggest lessons I learned in the room was how to write like a producible script, because it's not necessarily something I was concerned with as much when you're writing on spec. I mean, at least for me, like, I I just tried to make it, like, the best thing it could possibly be without much concern for, like, how much is this actually going to cost? You know, when you're on a show and there's, like, a very specific timeline as to, like, how, how many days do we have to shoot? How many exterior locations do we have? That's very much things that you need to be concerned about. And then it kind of changes, like, how you think about, like, writing the script, essentially. Because everything is like, do we really need the scene in the park? It's things like that. And if we do have the scene in the park, can we make it a bunch of scenes in the park? Because that's, like, an all-day thing. It takes so long to go to the park. It's, like, things like that that I never really thought about before. And were there any tools or skills that you learned outside of, obviously, the, the producibility aspect that is something that you'd be willing or able to pitch yourself on in the next showrunners meeting, something that was less clear at the top of the show, but now you know, for example, oh, I'm really good with plot or I'm really good with cliffhangers or dialogue or whatever. Hopefully I have more skills than I did before. I don't know specifically like what those things are. Like, I guess it's just like being able to pitch better, hopefully. That's fair. I mean, personally, I, yeah, I don't- Yeah, what do you think? About myself? Think, yeah. I would say definitely the pitching aspect, being more present in the room is something that I've always struggled with. And so I think that's something I'm still working on, but I think has improved. The idea that on some level, my ideas are valuable as much as anybody else's. Mm -hmm. Just the imposter syndrome, dealing with that is very important. And ways of expressing myself in a way that the goal would be emotion- first yeah. as opposed to plot or even character first just the idea of i need to land this pitch from an emotional standpoint like yeah. what does that bring to an audience member what does that add to the show the episode that would not be there otherwise i feel like that's something that i'm still like learning all that process but that's probably the number one thing of contributing in that way that ultimately is going to make the difference between you and everybody else's because everyone has their own emotions and what impacts them and influences them personally. So if you are able to come up with a pitch that lands with you emotionally, you can convey that emotion to other people, then I think you're bringing by nature something that no other person in the room can. That's very good advice. Pitching, again, like the emotional beats and like the emotion behind characters' actions is probably the most important takeaway from this this kind of goes back to like showrunner meetings again and like pitching yourself but that was something that i kind of realized also like along the way was tailoring every pitch including the pitch about yourself to be very emotion based because people ultimately can't remember you know trivial facts like where you're from or like when you move to like this city like that doesn't really matter whereas i think if you're approaching every pitch from the standpoint of like this is what the character is going through in this journey. I think that makes it a lot more relatable and personable. 100%. I, I mean, you just hit the nail on the head of just the idea of good story is cathartic. It's going to yeah. evoke something in the audience. It's going to be relatable on some level. And maybe we're not all working in a fancy department store or we're not like all astronauts or whatever, yeah. <laughs> but we all went through a heartbreak or something, mm -hmm. or a grief or something that's personal. I think that's ironically in a way ties back to what you put in your own writing and your own specs and your own pilots. What do you want to say and the same process that you went through to understanding, oh, this pilot is really about me dealing with grief or something yeah. like that. 
is the same process that you should probably be bringing to the res room in the way that I feel like a lot of people forget about yeah. uh, because they think, oh, it's like a job I need to perform. I need to be in the room. I need to make sure I get this paycheck or I need to impress the showrunner. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you can take a breath and take a step back and realize that the writing that you do and the writing that you create and the pitches that you make all come down to the same thing that you are about, which is the emotion and what you feel and what you want to convey. Now, just to finish on sort of the the lessons that you can take from the room, another big piece of the puzzle is sort of positioning yourself in a way that you can learn and finding those opportunities to learn for yourself, even beyond writing. What are your thoughts on that? So this was great advice that I got from my WG mentor. Shout out to SWAT showrunner, Aaron Ross and Thomas. Um, He told us that one of the things he learned early on was to think about ways in which he could learn to find opportunities to learn. So it goes beyond just like trying to make yourself as useful as possible to the showrunner, but also thinking about like, what do you want to learn and how can you do that? So if you're interested in post, because ultimately, like if your goal is to become a showrunner, there are so many other aspects that goes beyond being in the room and beyond being a writer. So like if post is something that you're interested in, that could potentially be something that you could try to ask your showrunner about. Like, can you sit in post when they're in post? I mean, because that's like a whole other aspect that like most writers wouldn't necessarily have the opportunity to experience until they're at that level. And again, obviously, like every showrunner is different. Not everyone's cool with the baby writer sitting in for like no reason. But if the opportunity is there, take it. That was a big thing I remember on Breaking Bad where Vince Gilligan would purposefully send his writers on set. And because at the end of the day, it is, at least in his mind and rightfully so, it is their episode to produce in some capacity. So getting the production experience, asking to be on set if it's doable. I know a writer who literally paid their airfare to be on set because they value that experience so much that they're like, well, if the studio is not going to pay for it, I'm going to pay for it. I don't care. I just want to be there. I want to be present. Yeah, that's Um, a great example. So yeah, just... Putting yourself in a position where you get to learn, I think that's very important. I love that advice. On our show, each of the writers, like if it's your episode, you get to go on set. I'm leaving in a week for production. So that's going to be like a great experience for sure. But if it's not like a given that you're going to go on set, then find ways to make that happen. Well, before we go, don't forget that we are now on Patreon. So if you enjoy this episode and all the other ones that we've made so far, please consider supporting Paper Team via our Patreon page at paperteam.co slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You'll get exclusive content, opportunities, and merch, and we can keep producing a great show for you every week. So on that note, thank you as always for listening. And thank you, Evelyn, for joining me for this uh, wonderful episode. Thank you for having me. Of course. And uh, you can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 166. As always, I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. Where can people find you if uh, you want to be found? (laughs) Uh, People can find me at Evelyn Eves. Excellent. And uh, if you listeners have any thoughts, feedback, ideas for future episodes, you can always send them to ask at pavyteam.co. And next week, we are actually off Monday uh, the 20th because it is MLK Day. But we will be back on Monday, January 27 with the first Paper Scraps of the year where we will answer your own TV writing questions as well as cover some of the latest TV writing news. And we will be joined again with guest host Evelyn. <laughs> so uh, I can't wait to talk about uh, TV again with you yes, in two exciting. weeks. All right. Well, on that note, we will see you on January 27.